Profiles in Cinemania, Terry Gilliam, Troublemaker, Mad Genius, Enfant Terrible. Much ink has been spilled over the past four decades about Terry Gilliam. He is a man so irredeemably corrupted by Cinemania that he is simultaneously a source and a victim of it. As an illustrator, his zany lo-fi animations were the secret sauce that made Monty Python's Flying Circus irresistible to the public. As a film director, he has perfectly embodied the Nietzschean ideal of the tyrant artiste, whose will to achieve his goal is so uncompromising and single-minded that all other concerns are excluded. Gilliam's willingness to exceed budgets burn bridges, and risk human life all to achieve his perfect vision would have driven even the notoriously uncompromising perfectionist Stanley Kubrick to recoil and say, geez, dude, pump the brakes a little. In short, there are auteurs, and then there's Terry Gilliam. The list of his most notable films reads like a Cinemania rap sheet. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Time Bandits, Brazil, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Twelve Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, The Man Who Shot Don Quixote. Although many of these movies were considered commercial failures, each has developed its own rabid cult following of cineasts and film students. Each is a cinematic tesseract, with layers upon layers that unfold over repeat viewings to create a labyrinth of dreamlike imagery in which people can and do lose themselves. Each lingers in a viewer's subconscious for years afterward. An entire chapter of the Cinemania Society could be founded to scrutinize Terry Gilliam's body of work exclusively. Rumor and legends swirl around the productions of Terry Gilliam films. An entire industry of books and documentaries has arisen to recount the disasters that occurred in their making. Actor-director Sarah Pauly's 2022 memoir, Run Toward the Danger, unpacks her trauma from starring in Munchausen in 1988 and details several incidents in which she was nearly killed. Studio executives on at least three Gilliam features decided they'd rather commit financial seppuku by sabotaging the film's release rather than let Gilliam succeed. Perhaps the hope was that this time a commercial failure would teach him a lesson, or at least make him too radioactive for anyone in showbiz to ever touch him again, but to no avail. The fact that Gilliam's filmmaking career has survived repeated financial disasters is a testament to just how goddamn good his films are. Born in 1940 in Minnesota, Gilliam's family moved to the San Fernando Valley of California when he was in high school, where they had absolutely zero involvement with the film industry. Instead, it is telling that Gilliam would volunteer at the circus whenever it came to town, and was usually put to work in the freak tent. Gilliam's first tentative steps toward eventual consumption by Cinemania began via the cartoons he drew for the high school newspaper. He cites Mad Magazine as a primary influence, which only goes to show that everything your parents ever said about Mad Magazine was not only right, but far worse than they imagined. Gilliam went on to illustrate for his college magazine, Fang, and though he graduated with a degree in political science in 1962, his doodles were good enough to land him a gig at Help, Harvey Kurtzman's Mad Magazine spinoff. This gig put Gilliam in proximity to some of the biggest names of the 1960s, and led to a chance meeting with John Cleese, who appeared in several Help photo comics. It was this meeting with Cleese that sealed Gilliam's fate, and the world's. In 1966, Gilliam departed the United States for England, and never looked back. 
Once comfortably burrowed into the folds of old Blighty, Gillian's next step was to produce an animated short, Beware of Elephants. This got him some respect in the London animation scene, which led to a couple of TV gigs. More importantly, however, it put him back in the orbit of John Cleese, who invited Gilliam to come draw cartoons for a television sketch comedy series that he and his Oxford chums were pitching, Monty Python's Flying Circus. It was with Python that Gilliam's Cinemania truly blossomed. His cut paper animations were distinctly contra-Disney and blew the minds of hippies the world round, inspiring generations of followers. South Park would never have existed without Gilliam's inspiration, though perhaps the world would be a better place if it hadn't. 1974 saw Monty Python join forces with legendary British rock groups Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd to create a film so unholy in its degree of cinemania that every nerd since its release has been required by their peers to be capable of quoting it in its entirety on pain of being stripped of their credentials. I am, of course, referring to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, a filmic felony co-directed by Gilliam and fellow Python Terry Jones. Gilliam refused to play well in the sandbox, however. The creative differences between the Terrys created delays and budget shortfalls significant enough that the Pythons refused to let Gilliam direct any of their features ever again. Two years after Holy Grail, Gilliam set out on a solo quest. He was to write and direct a feature film adaptation of Lewis Carroll's nonsensical poem Jabberwocky and give fellow Python Michael Palin the starring role. The film landed with a thud. Much like a poem, it was an unintelligible mess that was largely panned by critics of the era. Jabberwocky was a monstrosity that might have otherwise slain Gilliam's nascent filmmaking career, if not for the timely and heroic intervention of a completely different rock and roll icon. Through a curious turn of events, former Beatle George Harrison had founded Handmade Films to produce Monty Python's Life of Brian. Harrison, like Zeph and Floyd before him, was a fan of Flying Circus, and thus a Gilliam fan by proxy. It was Harrison whom Pythonite Eric Idle once called the only morally good person in rock and roll, who birthed the Enfant Terrible by greenlighting Time Bandits as Handmaid's third film. It didn't matter whether Harrison was morally good, Gilliam still bit the hand that fed him. In doing so, he established a pattern of merrily chomping hands from then on. Rumor has it that Harrison found Gilliam's behavior during production of Time Bandits so irksome that despite the film's financial success, Harrison never spoke to Gilliam again before his death in 2001. Rumors aside, however, Harrison admitted that Dream Away, the song that played under the end credits of Time Bandits, contains a lyrical dig at Gilliam. As one considers Terry Gilliam's body of work, the era in which he rose, his proximity to the biggest names in comedy, art, and music of the boomer generation, one might be forgiven for thinking that the man must have done every drug in Raoul Duke's notorious briefcase and then washed it down with Dr. Gonzo's bottle of adrenochrome. You'd be wrong, though. No, man. Terry Gilliam achieved that level of mania naturally. This has been another Profile in Cinemania. This episode was written, performed, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Music by Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Profiles in Cinemania is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.